As our shine kids are leaving to study the Word of God, lots of third through fifth graders here in this gathering. I love that they just got to take in the sight of a church finding their hope in Jesus. And that confession of those songs was everything my soul needed this morning. So I know it's heavy, uh, but thank you for being leaned in and tuned in. We worship God through songs because it connects us to his heart, because the scripture commands it. And there's something so significant about the church coming together to lift up songs of praise. Uh, But there's also something significant about a church with open hands, And so when we worship God through songs and through preaching the word of God, we also want to combine that with an effort to worship God through the bringing of tithes and offerings. And every week we invite you into bringing time. This is your invitation to participate in the life of this church financially. You certainly don't have to. We believe we get to. And on your way out today, there's some boxes. If you brought checks and you want to drop them in there, you can absolutely do that. If you want to do it online, if you want to do that on Venmo, all the options are there. I'm pumped up to get to preach to you. And if you're watching from any other space right now, just know the Holy Spirit seems like he's on the move in this room right now. And it's fitting given what we're going to be talking about in the book of Acts. If you haven't been with us, we started a long series a couple weeks ago. We made it through chapter one, guys. Two weeks into chapter one with 27 to go. And it's going to be an amazing journey looking at the unique story of the early church. We're calling it the remnant on mission because it's the story of how the few believers that remained post-resurrection and ascension of Jesus spread the gospel message of Jesus to billions and billions of people, to literally where you sit 2,000 years later as a result of their response to when Jesus said, you are going to be filled with power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the challenge of Acts is believers are called to articulate what they have come to know to be true about Jesus. And as they give their life to that mission, God fills them with power, but the power hasn't gone out yet. Last week was called Prayer Fuel Desperation, and it's about that 10-day period where the disciples get together in a room, and they're just praying, bless you, and they're just waiting on the Lord (laughs) and going, God, what? we don't know what this power is going to look like. We don't know what it's going to feel like. We don't even really know how the plan's going to play out, but we know we're called to wait until we're filled with power. So we're going to wait, and then you're going to respond. And if you missed last week, highly encourage you to check that out. But now the wait is over. Today, we're going to talk about Pentecost. Pentecost on Palm Sunday doesn't make a lot of sense because they're, they're, t- they're two totally different things, but you're going to see why by the end of this sermon. I want to give you the title before we turn there. Today's sermon is titled Spirit-Filled Surrender. Spirit-Filled Surrender. Those three words are the will of God for your life on any and every given day. Spirit-Filled Surrender. It is the goal of the Christian life to be emptied of self and to be filled with the power of God. To be real with you, all week long, I've been thinking about how I wanted to intro this sermon, and I had a killer intro. I mean, like, engaging story that would have been like, whoa, I'm going to listen to this sermon, and it was going to be good. But I just felt like in this moment, God, in light of what we talked about last week and in light of what we're going to talk about this week, just wanted me to say, the pathway to getting to the end of yourself and inviting God to fill you on the inside with his Holy Spirit, of deciding your life is not about you, it's all about him, of giving up the trivial, temporal pleasures of sin for the fullness of pleasure in God. That realization 
has to be God opening your eyes to want that. There is no amount of effort and delivery or charisma that I can conjure up on this stage so that 40 minutes from now, you're in a place of spirit-filled surrender. You're going, God, I'm open, fill me, boom, here we go. Power of the Holy Spirit, I'm connected to you. I don't want what the world has to offer. I just want Jesus. There is no amount of trying or effort by me right now on this stage that can get you or really get any human being there. It has to be God. So if you've ever been in a place of your life where you have felt like, I got to the end of myself, I came to the understanding that if I keep doing this my way, this is not going to go well. And I see that Jesus is better than every other option for your life. Huge news, you did not discover that. God opened your eyes to that. And that means God is pulling you into relationship with him as lost and as broken and as sinful as you are. He's done that for you. I'm praying he does it in a new and fresh way today. And so right now, I know I've prayed, Michael's prayed. We had a whole team of like 100 people in here praying at 7 a.m. this morning. I just want to pray right now, Holy Spirit, come. Right now, God, would you do in this room what I don't have the capacity to do? Would you do through screens, wherever people are, God, would you meet them? Would you cause them to see you the way that you are, glorious, holy, unrivaled. And God, would you use the flawed, broken efforts, the imperfect vessel, come Holy Spirit. We want to meet with God. We want you. Nothing else. Speak to your people right now. In Jesus' name, amen. When we lean into God with that kind of dependency and desperation, God tells us through his word that he will pour out his spirit. So Christianity is not simply the emptying of self, it's the filling of the person of God. If you meet someone who says that they're a Christian, but they don't enjoy Jesus more than sin, all that means is that they've surrendered their life to God, but they haven't filled their life with the pleasure of God. That's why when Jesus told this weird story about a house and demons, it's very strange. He's like, if you, get a, if you knock a demon out of a house, that demon will come back with seven of his friends. And if the house is swept clean, the demons will all come in there and the condition of the house will be worse than the first. And if, if you're a disciple hearing that, you're like, another weird story from Jesus about houses and demons. This is great. Like, what, what does it mean? You knock a demon out of a house and then he comes back with some of his friends and the house is swept clean and so it's worse. What, what, what does that story mean? Here's what Jesus was saying. He's going, just because you remove the evil from something doesn't mean that you leave it alone to be reoccupied by something worse. It means you fill it. So when the demons come back, they can't get in through the front door. There's no room for them. I'm looking at a group of people who the vast majority of us have fallen into a version of Christianity that's only half. I surrender all, Jesus. But have you ever opened up yourself long enough for Jesus to pour out all and to fill you so that you don't end up in a worse condition than you were at the beginning? So that you actually get filled by the Holy Spirit. See, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit should not be next level Christianity. Scripture tells us that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in believers. If that is legitimately possible for you, 
Why in the world would you settle for a version of knowing Jesus that is less than the resurrection power that we're literally gonna celebrate, celebrate next Sunday can live on the inside of you? That's possible for you. But it's gonna take an openness called surrender and it's gonna take paying attention to what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And that means we are going to read the moment 2000 years ago when the Holy Spirit goes out individually into believers for the first time called Pentecost. This is a huge moment on Palm Sunday. We're talking about Pentecost. Look at somebody next to you say Palm Sunday. Look at the other person say Pentecost. We're, we're gonna marry these two, okay? If you have your Bible, hold it up, hold it up. In the lobby, in Beham, we see you, hold it up high. Turn with me to Acts chapter two, Acts chapter two. We are gonna pick up right where we left off last week. I'm gonna remind you every week that Luke and Acts are two volumes of the same story written by a Gentile physician who sought out to connect the redemptive story of God from Old Testament to New Testament. So when you read Luke and Acts, you're gonna read a lot of things that make sense to the Jewish people. One of those is the very word Pentecost. When you and I read that, most of us think Pentecostal and we think Holy Spirit. Oh, that's when the Holy Spirit went out. That's what they named this day after, but it is not. It was already called Pentecost well before the Holy Spirit was poured out. All the word Pentecost means is 50th. It marks 50 days after the Jewish Passover. So if you didn't know this, Jesus actually died on Passover weekend. And then 50 days, so 40 days, he's around in a resurrected body. And then there's a 10 day period of praying. So on the 50th day, that's Pentecost, Jerusalem has a party called the Feast or Festival of Weeks. It's when everybody who was there at the Passover comes back and God-fearing Jews from all over the world come back on Pentecost. And they're coming back to remind themselves and celebrate the giving of the law on Mount Sinai to Moses. All of this is so important when you read the story of Pentecost and you see how many similarities there are between this moment and when Moses received the law, and you're gonna see it in just one second. Acts chapter two, verse one, if you're there, say I'm there. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now pay attention. This is a massive moment in the entire Bible, y'all. This is huge. 50 days. Post-Jesus, they've been praying for 10 days. The room where they're praying is filled with a violent rushing wind. It's a physical manifestation of the presence of God. And then fire enters the room and hovers over them. Whenever you see wind and fire combined in the scriptures, it is symbolic of the presence of God. This happened when Moses received the law, Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 22, you can read that. And if Pentecost is a reminder of Sinai, this is to a Jewish reader, whoa, this is our God doing something huge. If they're praying together and there's a physical manifestation of the presence and then fire comes to rest on top of them, God has decided to do something new, except God decides in this moment to do something he has never done before, which is take the fire from being a general revelation of his presence presence to an individual anointing on each one praying. So anytime I've ever heard the story of Pentecost preached, I've had a hard time visualizing it in my head. I'm like, what are tongues of fire? And how does this work? I just want you to try to picture this in your head. Picture people praying, 
Wind, physical, oh man, something's happening. Building shaking. Fire above, but then the fire starts dividing. And there's individual fire on top of each believer who's supernaturally given the ability to speak a language they couldn't previously speak. This is the moment in the scripture where God indwells individual believers with his very personhood. That's what's happening. The big thing about this is that it's individual. It's not just general anymore. It's like you get it and you get it and you get it for something specific and you are filled with the power of God, just like he promised in Acts chapter one to do something that you could not previously do. And what is it that they start doing? They start speaking in other languages they couldn't previously speak. If that weirds you out, welcome to the club. When the Holy Spirit shows up, he does weird stuff because he's God. And I wanna wanna flesh out what exactly he's doing and how we are invited to participate in it. Let's look at verse five. It says, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt and the other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. That's in your Bible, guys. It's really what happened 2,000 years ago when the Holy Spirit's poured out. What? What does this mean? What's happening? This is the moment where Christ is indwelling believers. Paul calls this the mystery that was kept hidden for ages. Jesus, the night before he died, is like, I'm leaving you, but this is going to be better in the end when the helper comes. What he meant by that is that now his presence is not in a limited physical space, but able to indwell and fill other believers. It's why as we spread out today, thousands of different directions, if you know Jesus, we believe Christ is in you, Christ is in me. Christ is able to indwell us by the power of the Holy Spirit. But when he does that, he gifts believers with supernatural ability to communicate the wonders of God in all of these different languages. Why does that happen? Because this has been the story of God from the beginning of the biblical narrative to the end. If you read the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and ask, what is God up to? The answer is God is telling a story that invites all nations into his family through a specific people called Israel that is ultimately going to be a blessing for all nations. Remember what God said to Abraham, I'm gonna bless you so that you can be a blessing to all nations. Remember the prophecies, people like Daniel who said all nations will worship at the throne of God. God's been telling a story through one nation that will lead to the salvation of all people. So it makes sense that the original moment the Holy Spirit goes out is a moment where all nations are coming to Jerusalem for a festival and the people are supernaturally speaking languages they could could not previously speak and other people are going, we hear the wonders of God and that's not possible because you're not from where I'm from. How do you even know how to say words, if any, but not, you're not just saying words, you're speaking the wonders of God. Now, everybody look up here and do not miss this. We got to deal with some theological issues. I did a 
whole video on our website called uh, Holy Spirit 101 that you can find. We get questions of, hey, what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? Because we're a church that has so many different denominations. And, and so I gave some kind of basics on there. If I could call this section of the sermon anything, this would be Holy Spirit 102. Okay, so we're, we're graduating from the basics of what does the Holy Spirit do to what does Pentecost mean for our lives and specifically what is happening in this moment that can happen in my life. The believers in Acts 2 are doing what is called prophesying. They are speaking the wonders of God in a way that can be understood and applied. They are doing so in languages that they cannot previously speak. So they're almost meshing two different spiritual gifts. One of them is called speaking in other tongues, and one of them is called prophesying. What they are not doing, and you need to pay so close attention to what I'm saying right now, what they are not doing is praying in tongues. In 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, Paul talks about the spiritual gift of uttering mysteries in the spirit. That is when you pray to God, and this is a gift of the Holy Spirit that not everybody has. It is when you pray to God individually for the edification of yourself and you utter things that you don't even know what you're saying. You trust that God knows what you're saying, but the purpose is to stir up your soul and your spirit to be connected to God. Now, if you're here and you're like, I don't agree with that. You don't agree with Paul because Paul says he did this and he wishes all believers would do it, but he also says it's the lowest and least important of all the gifts because it only edifies one person, the person speaking. There are other greater gifts that we are supposed to aspire to. So if you've ever heard it taught, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a baptism where you are filled with a prayer language. And until you get that prayer language, you are not yet a fully empowered Christian. That is false, that is a lie, that is unbiblical. When you become a Christian, you become baptized in the Holy Spirit. What does the word baptized mean? It doesn't mean to drop underwater for a second. It means full immersion. It means Christ is in you and you are in Christ. There's a union between you and God now, you and the Trinity. And that union gets expressed in your life through these things called spiritual gifts. These are gifts that you have from the Holy Spirit that you could not have on your own. One of those is the ability to pray in tongues privately. Others are things like acts of service, things like supernatural healing and miracles, things like generosity. There are spiritual gifts all over the map that God says, you have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this within the life of a local church. And the top, watch this, the top of those gifts is prophecy. If you want more on this, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is golden where Paul goes, I wish that everybody would be aspiring to prophesy. Prophesying is uttering the wonders of God in a way that people are left to say, surely your God is among you. It is quite literally what I'm doing right now. I believe when there's people in a room who leave our gatherings going, God, I don't even know how to explain it. God is among them. That is not my ability to communicate and deliver something. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit that he's poured out on this space for people to meet with and encounter Jesus. That's the purpose of spiritual gifts in the first place. So every believer is baptized into the Holy Spirit. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit is different depending on how the Spirit has gifted you. And if I could say one last thing, Holy Spirit 102 is almost over, guys. Everybody's super nervous. I just need to say this. At ACC, there's so much more that needs to be said, but this is the main part I wanted to say. At ACC, we choose not to be a church that chooses a side between the Holy Scriptures and the Holy Spirit. We choose to be both. We want to be so committed to the Scriptures, and we want to be so committed to the Spirit of God. And in modern Christianity, most of the time you walk into a room and you know immediately which room you're in. Like you know which side they've picked. 
You walk into a room that's serious about the scriptures, they're usually rigid. They're like, I, I don't know about that Holy Spirit stuff. Give me chapter and verse. Just give me chapter and verse. And if that's you and you're here, I see why you've been drawn to a church like this, but you just need to know, you need to be as equally open to be led into more of the Holy Spirit of God as you are to the scriptures, because here's something that we need to consider. The Holy Spirit is the one who wrote these books and he's unpredictable. I'm telling you, he will do things in your life that you do not see coming. Yes, you need to confirm it in the Holy Scriptures, but if you're here today and you think you have the Holy Spirit entirely figured out in your life and there's nothing new to learn and there's no openness and no curiosity, you are missing out on more of God. Now, on the other side of that, you go into a room that's more on the spirit side and you know what that room's like. They are like, man, let's just, let's just prophesy. I'll, I'll take me to a graveyard right now. I will prophesy to these bones and we will see, we, we're going to pray in tongues. I mean, we're, it's going to be crazy. And then it's like, hold hey, up, take all that zeal and use that passion for the presence of God in an equal way to make sure you're doing it in tune with what has been taught about how to connect to God. We gotta stay 100, somehow 100% committed. Yes, we want more of the Spirit of God. Yes, we wanna stay committed to the Holy Scriptures. And at ACC, I think just a personal awareness of where you land will tell you, hey, I need to maybe shift more back toward making sure I'm 100% committed to both so that the Spirit of God can fill me. Was that good? Was that helpful for anybody? Okay, it was helpful for me. We're gonna pick up in verse 14 when everybody thinks that everyone's drunk. Here we go. Verse 14, that's a part. Guys, when the Holy Spirit goes out, they go, they've had too much wine. Why do you think they said that? Because they're not in the room speaking other languages, just trying to stay as quiet as possible. It's like a party at Pentecost. There's joy present. There's an intoxication with the spirit of God. There's zeal. It's, it's loaded with joy. But then Peter stands up. Then Peter, verse 14, same Peter who 50 days earlier denied Christ the night before he died stood up with the 11. I love Luke, so detailed. He's like, hey guys, remember there's 12, not 11. Remember in the last, that we replaced Judas. We got 12 again. Hey, you Jews who think 12 tribes of Israel, we got our 12 guys. Peter stood, I love Luke, stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. That's really there. Peter's like, no, they're not wasted. I mean, maybe tonight, like, ha. I'm just kidding. He's not saying that, but he's going, that doesn't even make sense for you to come to that conclusion because the festival for Pentecost didn't begin until after lunch. It's only nine in the morning. Stay with us. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, this is from Joel. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is Peter's greatest sermon. We're only gonna hit on a little bit of it today. Next Sunday on Easter, we're gonna hit on the back half. So powerful. But Peter says, no, 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 they're not drunk. This is the confirmation of what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Joel 2 actually talked about uh, some of this passage last week at College Retreat. It's, that's such a powerful chapter in the Bible. But Peter goes, God told us he was gonna do this. He's pouring out his spirit on all people, not some group, but anyone who's willing, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, 
and they will prophesy. Old men are gonna dream dreams. Young men are gonna see visions. There's gonna be supernatural signs and wonders that are happening, which is what you see today as these people are doing what? Articulating the wonders of God in a way that can be understood. Keep in mind, Jesus told the disciples in chapter one, I'm gonna give you power so that you can witness. And then the first act of the Holy Spirit is to indwell believers for what? Witnessing. So the Holy Spirit flows where the people of God are paying attention to the purposes of God. They're carrying the message of the gospel and spreading who Jesus is. And in these days, he says, anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They got good news, ACC. You need to look up here. If, you are, if, you, if I lost you, some of the crazy Holy Spirit stuff, you need to hear this. You need to hear this. The very days we're reading about in Joel, the very days that began at Pentecost 2,000 years ago are the days you are living in right now. What was said to Joel is true about you today. Scripture says angels long to look into these things. Hebrew says there were people who like really, really, really wanted to be a part of what we share in right now. And it's all because we get the opportunity to walk in what we're calling spirit-filled surrender. The will of God for your life is not secret and hidden away in a drawer somewhere for you to hunt down and discover what God is trying to say to you. You need to know today, if you have breath in your lungs, God's will for your life is any given day, anywhere you find yourself in any season, spirit-filled surrender. And as I make myself available to be filled with the power of God, God lights my way on my individual journey. Most of us have this terrible, dangerous tendency of only having a relationship with God on the basis of ascribing to a belief system. Jesus, I believe you died. I believe you rose again. I want to go to heaven. Or we have a relationship with God that's only about negotiating terms and circumstances of our lives. We go, I believe you died and rose again. I want to go to heaven one day. And then when I have a problem on my journey up until that day, I'll come to you. But as long as we're kind of in agreement on how the whole plan works out, then, then we're good. But when I need an answer about what direction to take or when I need an explanation about something I didn't see coming, then I'll come back to you. And it turns into this transactional relationship with God where the will of God always seems fleeting and like you might be missing something. But could it be that God's will for your life is not for you to stress for the rest of your life trying to find him. God's will for your life is for you to open yourself up through surrender and be filled from within with the fire of God that lights your way like a lamp for your feet and a light for your path. That's God's will for your life. And we say all the time at ACC, God's will is not a map. It's a match. God's will is not, oh, where's he calling me? And how is this supposed to work? And what am I supposed to do? No, it's a fire that when I allow the Holy Spirit to fill me from within, he lights my way on the journey. So our endeavor is not, how do I discover what God wants to do in my life? He's already poured the plan out. It's called his Holy Spirit. The question is, are you filled? And if you wanna know whether or not you're filled, the question gets even more simple. Are you surrendered? You can write this down, this, the whole sermon in one sentence. Being spirit-filled is the byproduct of full surrender. Being spirit-filled is the byproduct of full surrender. Every spiritual gift that you read about in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 that I talked about earlier, everything that we could possibly talk about, the depths of what it means to walk in the Holy Spirit is all the byproduct of are you pursuing full surrender with your life? And I don't mean that one moment where you saying I surrender all or you went down at the crusade or you want, listen, conversion, huge deal, massive moment. Some of you, your moment's gonna be today. But I'm talking about the daily struggle with your awareness 
of this is where I've taken back the reins of my life. In every appetite you have, in every part of your life where you're tempted to grab back your personal control of it, what you don't realize you're doing when you do that is you are quenching the Spirit's power in and through your life. Spirit-filled surrender is guided by, have I given God unlimited and unfiltered access to my body, to my mind, to my emotions, to my calling, to my relationships, and am I totally open for him to consume me like a fire? This is basic Christianity. But most of us grew up hearing this version as like, no, that's like the, you win and like Jesus wins and then you become a Christian and then it's like bonus, bonus, bonus level, extra credit. Like this is like for the people who are super, super serious. I'm saying if the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that filled the believers in this room 2000 years ago, and he's in this room right here, right now, why would you settle for a version of knowing him that is so far less from the intoxicating power of the Holy Spirit lighting your way on your journey? Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That's Ephesians 5. What he meant was the intoxicating power that drives a believer's life is a personal filling of the Holy Spirit that you and I are intended to pursue daily. So in a sense, yes, when you get saved, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. But there's a difference between being filled with the manifest presence of God. I'm paying attention. I'm surrendered and I'm open and being filled. Yeah, the Holy Spirit's in me, but I couldn't hear him if he was shouting because my life is so loud. Our daily pursuit is, does does he have the reins or have I taken them back? And we have got to make, what, what does Ephesians 5 say? It's not just be filled with the Spirit. The literal language is be being filled. It's like a a perfect present tense. Always be being filled with the Holy Spirit so that all of the other things that try to fill you up, remember the beginning of this sermon. It's not just about emptying your life through surrender. It's about filling your life with his power. How do you and I go about pursuing in real time, God, fill me up and consume my life? To answer that question, you better believe it. I have three points. And then you can go and the next group can fight for the parking lot. Number one, now please, on your way out, please be kind to our parking volunteers because they are not paid. But also, don't just be kind to them, listen to them. I, can't, I get to watch some of y'all leave from our office and, and they do not have seconds to spare when they're telling some of y'all to go. Some of y'all rolling down your window, catching up through, and I'm like, you do not, there are like a thousand cars behind you. You have to go. You can text them after you get done driving, but like, like go where you're going. I got three points and then you can go. Number one, actually you can't, we're going to sing. Number one, and if you do leave, especially if you're in this room, we'll see you and give you judgmental stares. Number one, <laughs> surrender your desire to control the plan. This is what spirit-filled surrender is all about. Surrender your desire to control the plan. While we are fighting for God's pen over our story, God is longing to pour out his power. This is the summary of what is quenching the Holy Spirit in thousands of people who are listening to me right now. While you are fighting God over the pen going, I just, I just wanna know what you're writing in there and I just wanna know how do you make sense out of that. I need the pen, I need control. I need to get my hands around this. While you, while you are spending your energy that way, God's not sitting there going just a little bit further and I'm gonna give you a little bit of leeway and control. No, he's writing something that you wouldn't understand even if he told you out loud all that he's doing in a given moment. And God wants your pursuit to shift today from God, give me the pen to God, if you're holding power on the edge of heaven, waiting to fill me, fill me with your power. And there's a change in pursuit when you come to trust and understand that no, God is not going to write the story the way you want him to. 
He is going to do something better, but it's going to involve pain. See, when we talk about surrendering your plans to God, we're so quick to jump to Jeremiah 29 and go, it's gonna be better than you think. It's gonna be so much more like, uh, it's good. It, 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 he broke your heart, but don't worry. He, he's got someone better. It's gonna be, he's gonna have more chemistry. And it's always like God's will is better. And it is better. But sometimes we need to say this out loud. It's more painful his way. And that doesn't mean that his hand's not at work. I wanna show you the very beginning of Peter's explanation of what's happening through Joel 2. If you're in Acts, we're gonna pick up in verse 22. He literally says this, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You want a preview for next Sunday? That's it. That's where we're going to pick up. But go back to verse 23. This is really weird. Peter's trying to explain, hey, hey, what's going on? These people seem drunk. There's power going out. I hear languages I shouldn't be able to hear. This man, Jesus, verse 23, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So wait, God uses the wicked, evil actions of men who murdered the Son of God according to his foreknowledge to save the world? Yes. This is what our God does. Our God does things like allow Joseph to be sold into slavery, left for dead, to be lied about, to be left in a prison cell, only to be exalted to the highest position in the palace in order to preserve a remnant for God. And at the end of it, he looks at his brothers and goes, what you did was intended for evil, but God intended it for good, the saving of many lives. Joseph being just a pre-story that points to the story of Jesus. Peter's going, you thought you were just killing a man who you disagreed with, but you were actually killing the son of God. And it was all according to God's foreknowledge. See, God has the capacity to weave anything and everything according to his sovereignty, according to his ultimate plan for the universe and his plan for your life intertwined in that. But if you and I are making an effort to see in any given moment how God is using all the individual details of our lives, we are totally missing the point. I don't wanna get into a debate right now about where does God's sovereignty fit versus where's human responsibility. Here's what I do know. God's writing the story. He's in total control of the story. Evil exists. God will ultimately use all evil in a grand story that's going to be about his glory. But you do have a role and a responsibility. And that role and responsibility is not to figure out what God is doing according to his sovereign plan in every detail. Your responsibility is, am I filled with the Holy Spirit and surrendered to what God is doing in my life today? Stop making your pursuit the negotiation with God about the details and start making your pursuit, God, I've taken back the reins of my sexual appetite. I've taken back the reins of my relational story. I've taken back the reins of bitterness and unforgiveness. I've taken back the reins of anxiety. I've gone back into this dark place. God, I'm grabbing the pen again and I just need your help. I know that's not what you want. What you want is for me to turn this over so God, fill me with your spirit again. And that surrender looks like my pursuit cannot be 
the consistent negotiation with God over control of the plan. My pursuit has to be, am I filled with the Spirit today? This is, this is like real practical and not as difficult as some of the circumstances you guys are in. But like I, I right now, I can't control how many people want to come on a Sunday morning. I can't control that we don't have seats for everybody. I can't control how angry some people are that they had to drive back home. So I can't control that. But if I indulge those emotions, I limit what the Holy Spirit could do in this moment where I'm standing. And what God needs from me more than he needs me to figure out the details of how the story is going to play out is he needs me to stand in front of you as a consuming fire and make sure I'm connected to him. This is, this, I'm, not, I'm not trying to overcomplicate your life. I'm trying to simplify your life today. Stop making your pursuit, God, show me what you're doing and start making your pursuit, God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Last thing about this I want to say. So today is not Pentecost Sunday. That's at the end of May. Today's Palm Sunday, right? Can you imagine on Palm Sunday if Jesus told the people shouting Hosanna what his plan was for the next week? They're literally shouting about a military revolution that they want to see happen. Hosanna, save now. I will. By being murdered by the people you want me to save you from. But as you look to me, this is for you. Keep paying attention to the story. I'll rise on Sunday. And then a few days after that, I'll fill you and you're get, you'll get to participate in it. They couldn't handle that in that moment. They go, no, we just, we just want to stop being murdered and taken advantage of in our taxes by the Romans. And Jesus is going, I'd rather rescue you from the dominion of darkness that keeps you separated from your heavenly father forever. But if I tried to explain that to you, you wouldn't come with me. So you don't have to know where I'm going or what I'm doing or how this is all going to work, but you do have to stay close to my heart. Surrender your desire to control the plan. That's number one. Two more. These are a lot faster. Surrender your right. They really are. Well, that was not a joke. Surrender your right to choose your purpose. Surrender your right to choose your purpose. There's a, just like a narrative in American Christianity, but also just the American psyche that every individual who's individually gifted by God has an individual right to choose their purpose. And some of this is about vocation. But surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit is about admitting that God's purpose wins over your purpose. God did not gift you by accident with the gifts that he gave you, but he did not gift you for you. He gifted you for himself. So without alignment to the big picture purpose of God, you will never be truly filled with the Spirit of God. I'm gonna say that again. Without alignment to the big picture purposes of God, you won't be filled with God's spirit. God doesn't send his spirit to make us feel better on a Wednesday, just to have a more pleasant day. God sends his spirit to empower us for what he's doing in the world. So what is like spirit-filled surrender? Spirit-filled surrender is, Holy Spirit, you're doing something in the world and I wanna participate in it. It's not, God's, it's not you inviting God into your story. It's us being invited by God into his. What is his story? One where the kingdom is being advanced to all nations in our day. If you want to live a spirit-filled life, the question has to become, what is the purpose of your life? And if that answer is financially driven or driven by a commitment to personal comfort, or I just want the story to go as well as I can for my future family, I just want to give my kids a better life than I have. I've heard a lot of people say that. Not a bad goal, but at the same time, I think in Auburn especially, this could be true in other locations as well, we have a dangerous tendency of mixing God's purposes with our own. And go, hey, his bottom line purpose is that the name of Jesus reaches as many people in as many ways as it possibly can. And you get invited to participate in that. 
So you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Get on board with God's purpose more than invite God into, hey, I feel like I kind of have a gift for this. Can you just open these doors and cause me to prosper? And cut? Listen, he wants, and listen, he wants to tell your story in an amazing way, but he's telling his, and I've noticed that the more I align my purposes with God's, the more filled with his power I become. And the more I do my own thing, the more I feel like I'm running low on spiritual energy. This is, this is like blunt and, and very, very harmful. And you just need to take the weight of this. God does not care about Miles' story. God does not care about whether or not the narrative ends with you on top of this career or this company. Or no, th- th- that's not his end game goal. His end game goal is the salvation of souls. And as you join up with his purpose for his glory, guess what you get? Personal satisfaction. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Maybe the reason why you are so empty and depleted is because it is so all about you. And when it stops being all about you and becomes all about him, you have created a pathway for the Holy Spirit to fill you. Last thing I'll say about this one, don't waste this Easter. If ever there was a time to participate in God's purposes in the world, it's Easter. People for some reason are more open this week to hear the gospel message of Jesus. You get to participate in God's purposes on planet earth and create a way for the Holy Spirit to fill you from the inside out. That's number two. Surrender your desire to control the plan. Surrender your right to choose your purpose. And lastly, surrender your identity to God in three persons. Surrender your identity to God in three persons. So whenever we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, we have a major issue because it seems relational to talk about God as a father and the son, but it seems really transactional to talk about him as power, the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit does not empower you the way gas powers a car or whatever your Tesla electricity powers your car. Some of you are like, I, don't, I haven't been to a gas station in years. Cool. That's what my dad says. I'm like, dad, you're so annoying, um, but I love you. Anyway, it's not like, okay, Holy Spirit, fill me. Now, no, this isn't a transaction. This is a relationship. The Holy Spirit has a personhood just as much as the Father and the Son. And the New Testament tells us that the main function of the Holy Spirit, above and beyond empowering you for any specific work, is to seal your adoption as a child of God. Don't recoil away from how personal the Holy Spirit can be in your life. When the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, literally a dove at his baptism, there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And what you witness at Jesus's baptism is the threefold pleasure of God coming together. The Spirit empowering the Son who is anointed by the Father. Perfect unity these three have been brought into. What you need to understand about being Spirit-filled, this is so crazy, is that if you're a believer in Jesus, you have been welcomed to share in the community of the Trinity, which means where the Holy Spirit fills you, it's not there's a job to do, you need to do it. It's, there's a name I wanna call you so you stop believing lies. Spirit of truth to set you free. You need to surrender today and be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can be filled by the love of God. What is the power source that makes you burn bright for the kingdom of God? It's not how gifted you are or loud you are, how many spiritual gifts you can perform. 
It's how loved do you believe you are by the God of the universe and how much has your heart become captivated by the lies of the enemy? God wants the spirit to rush in and cover you and a voice to come from heaven that says, more than anything I wanna speak over you today, I wanna call you son, I wanna call you daughter, I know what you've gotten into, but I just wanna reestablish that you are mine and you belong to me. And the more you believe that voice, the more you walk in his power. So today, right now, the prayer is so simple. God, take us from knowledge about you to real experience with you. I decided in this moment, we're not gonna stop and take communion like we normally do after the sermon. I just wanted us to ask as a church family, Holy Spirit, come. So let's stand up across this space, all of our locations, and let's ask humbly, Spirit of God, as we surrender our plans, as we surrender our purposes for our stories and our futures, would you fill us with an identity? Every activity that you are going to do in this Christian life has to flow from an identity, child of God. Would you receive that today? Let's bow our heads all over this space. Heavenly Father, I just ask you in the name of Jesus that as we sing right now, your Holy Spirit would descend on this space and every space that we are gathered like a dove, God. So often in the scriptures we read about your power being poured out, but we don't want that story to get stuck on the pages of Acts chapter two. We want to have Acts chapter two right here and right now. Help there to be an openness. God, help there to be a zeal. Help somebody even in these next few songs to respond, caring more about what you see when you see them than what someone on their row sees. God, right now, I pray that people for the first time would allow your Holy Spirit to fill them. We invite you, Spirit of God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come and fill this space, come and fill your people. If you're comfortable right now, would you just open your hands toward God? Would you just open your hands as a sign? I'm available, God, I surrender. I'm not chasing the pen anymore. I'm not chasing the pen anymore. I'm going after more of who you are. And God, I wanna walk with you deeply. God, I'm yours, I surrender. We sing to you now, we lift our eyes, in Jesus' name, amen.